0: something a little bit different to kick us off and uh, this is going to require a little bit of audience participation Uh, now don't worry don't have to get out of your seats it's nothing too serious all I'm going to ask you to do is uh, pop your hands up so basically I'm gonna read out a few different descriptions and if you match that description if you could put your hand up I'd really appreciate it so to start off with if you're a dad here could you put your hand up please great and if if you could keep your hand up for the minute thank you Um, Okay, uh, for those who are left, if you're a sibling, so if you've got brothers and sisters or some combination of those two, pop your hands up. Wonderful. Okay, and keep your hands up still, brilliant, thank you. So if you're left, if if you're female, if you could put your hands up. Brilliant, and then just to be absolutely safe, if you're male, could you put your hands up? Okay, so hopefully everyone in the room now has their hands up. So if you just keep your hands up just for a minute longer. So one final question. I'd like you to keep your hands up if you think that there is more to you Then that one thing. Whatever it is that you've put your hand up for, if you're a sibling or a dad, if you think there's more to you than that, can you keep your hand up? Wonderful. Okay, you can all put your hands down. Thank you for taking part in that. Um, And I wonder how you might have experienced that and how maybe you're feeling now. I wonder in particular how you're feeling if you're a dad and you got to put your hand up first. And maybe if, just for a second, you felt a little bit special like, oh yeah, I get to put my hand up first, you know, I, I've been chosen. It's quite nice to be mentioned, isn't it? And on the flip side of that, I wonder how it might have felt for everyone else in that moment. And again, if maybe just for a moment, you might have gone a little bit like, oh, you know, I don't, it's not my turn to play it, I haven't been, haven't been picked. It's not a very nice feeling. And I'm sure if we think about it, we can all conjure up a memory where we've been made to feel left out, whether by accident, or on purpose, I'm sure if we take a moment we can all think of, of something that's happened to us um, and how that made us feel. For me, I remember when I was about nine, uh, we, I moved schools and on the first day at lunchtime all the boys went and played football and we were kind of picking teams and I remember being picked first because everyone wanted to see how good the new kid was. And then I remember the next day the rather painful memory of being picked last. Um, You know, and and fair enough, I've never been that good at sports um, and I know that you're kind of looking at me in disbelief, but you look so athletic, Rich, Um, and even now, you know, 20 years on, when when England come out for the Euros, a little part of me goes, oh, if it wasn't for that, you know, that really knocked my confidence back, could have been me, maybe not, but um, but in all seriousness, 20 years on, I can still remember quite vividly actually how that felt um, and how that made me feel, you know, being left out. And one of the things that I love about Jesus and his message is that no one is left out. Jesus includes everyone. So it doesn't matter who you are or or where you've been, you're all precious to Jesus, we're all precious to Jesus. And he longs to be in relationship with each and every one of us. And so that's what I wanna talk about tonight, the fact that uh, Jesus didn't leave anyone out. And in fact, I believe that Jesus is radically inclusive. And I think that one of the implications of that is that we, as uh, his followers, as a church, are also called to be intentionally and radically inclusive. And I'm going to unpack exactly, exactly what I mean by that as we, uh, as we go through the, mo- uh, the evening. And so the title of my talk is Living a Life That is Radically Inclusive. And I want to say right at the very beginning of this, that um, I love being part of a church that really embraces this message. You know, we are a really diverse room with people from all different walks of life. And so I hope that today's message will be an encouragement to the many of you who are already doing this. So in, uh, in true Trent Vineyard style, I've got three points, uh, and they all start with the letter I. So the first one is that Jesus's ministry is radically inclusive, and the I is obviously with inclusive. So I've used that word radically a couple of times now and um, I've done that quite deliberately because I think that to some extent it's actually quite hard for us to really understand how radical this message would have been to those people who heard it um, at the time. Because the society that Jesus lived in had really deep divisions. um, Divisions that were uh, deeply embedded and widely accepted in a way that's actually, I think, quite hard for us to understand in our kind of modern-day context um, of political correctness and, uh, generally, acceptance of tolerating other people. Um, and Jesus very deliberately challenged these divisions, and he actually crossed social boundaries in a way that was considered deeply offensive by many people at the time. You know, there were, at the time, there was a group of people called the Pharisees, and these were basically uh, Jewish religious leaders and they lived very strict, very sort of ritualistic lives, and they had very high standards for other people and how they were to live their lives as well. And uh, throughout the Gospels, which, uh, which are the books of the Bible that, that tell us about Jesus's life, we see Jesus regularly offending this group of people. So in, uh, in Matthew chapter nine, we read this in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. And the inflection of that question, it's not an innocent question, the, the, the way it's phrased is, why on earth would he do that? Why would he hang out with, with sinners, who are, are basically bad people, or at least people that they perceived as bad, and, uh, and tax collectors? And, um, and to properly understand this, we need to know a little bit about tax collectors. So at the time, uh, Israel had been conquered by the Romans, and it was under occupation. And so tax collectors were seen by most Jews as traitors, collaborating with the, the conquerors against their own people. Um, and as if that wasn't bad enough, these guys generally also weren't above skimming a bit off the top, and so a lot of them became very rich at the expense of others. So for Jesus to sit down to dinner with a tax collector was hugely controversial, but Jesus time and time again includes people who his society views as lesser, as other. And Jesus didn't just offend uh, the religious people like the Pharisees. In, uh, in John chapter four, we read a story where Jesus' closest followers, who were called his disciples, were affa- uh, offended when they found him talking to a Samaritan woman. So again, it's helpful to have a little bit of context here. Samaritans were originally part of the tribes of Israel. They were from the same ethnic background. Um, and the tribes of Israel are are the Jewish people. But the Samaritans had broken off and gone their own way and they would disagreed with the Jews on a a whole bunch of things. And the result was that by this time, the two groups just hated each other. Um, Jews despised Samaritans and more often than not would go out of their way to avoid having dealings with them. But here is Jesus interacting with a Samaritan. Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge racial and ethnic divisions. And again, it's, it's quite hard I think for us to understand how difficult this would have been to hear for people at the time. You know, most of Jesus' audience would have grown up despising Samaritans and that, that being perfectly normal. And not only was this person a Samaritan, but they were a woman as well. And again, in that culture, women were not treated as equal um, like in ours. Women were considered second-class citizens Um, And in fact, quite often they were viewed as property in the culture of the time. But Jesus's attitude to women is time and time again demonstrated to be completely revolutionary for his time and place. Um, so, So for those of us here who are followers of Jesus, if Jesus is our ultimate example and the person that we are modeling ourselves on, and if he is radically inclusive, then I think a good question to ask is, are we living lives that are radically inclusive. This theme of um, inclusivity, or being inclusive, uh, carried on into the makeup of the early church. And actually, our our senior pastor, John, touched on this topic, uh, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before, when he talked about a passage from the book of Acts, which tells us a bit about the makeup of a leadership team uh, of a church in a place called Antioch. So I'm I'm not going to go into detail here because, as I said, John literally talked about this two weeks ago, but suffice it to say that this verse demonstrates an incredibly diverse group of people. People from all over the the then-known world, from different people groups, social and ethnic backgrounds. And John made the point that this group of people would naturally have very little reason to come together. And that leads me on to my second point because... I believe that one of the biggest barriers to us being inclusive is when we are stuck in our old ways of thinking, stuck in our old identity. And I say old because my second point is that we have a new identity in Jesus, and there's the I again, identity. Um, And before I get into what I really mean by that, I've got a little clip to show. It's actually a slice of a uh, comedy routine, uh, which I think is quite relevant. Um, It's about a minute long, so hopefully that's gonna come up now.
1: I've noticed with this country, I've been on tour lately, I've noticed this country, basically everybody hates everybody who's about 45 minutes away, right? I've worked this out over the course of the last few years, right? Everybody hates the next town along, right? The next city along, it? So Manchester and Liverpool hate each other, Portsmouth and Southampton hate each other, Glasgow and Edinburgh, right? Always the same, right? Apart from when there's someone a little bit further away there, right? That sometimes happens. So Manchester and Liverpool, we don't get on until we see someone from Yorkshire, right? And then we we'll go, yeah, well, we're from the northwest, aren't we? From the northwest. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Right? <laughs> and then we meet someone from down south, and then all three of us are like, well, well, we're northerners now, aren't we? We're northerners. Yeah. And then yeah. we meet someone from Scotland. Yeah, well, we're English, aren't we? We're English. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody from France. Well, we're British, aren't we? We're British. Yeah. <laughs> someone from America. Yeah, well, we're European. We're European. The only time the world is going to be friends is when we get invaded by aliens. Right? That's my theory. We'll all have to be mixed. Yeah, well, we're human. We're
0: human, aren't we? Sorry, anyone that's from Liverpool, uh, by the way, for that one. Actually, I I did that apology this morning, and someone from Liverpool came up to me afterwards and said, well, uh, we kind of expected it anyway, because he's from Manchester, so we saw it coming a mile off. Um, Incidentally, I should just say, I didn't seek that comedian out, so I'm not necessarily um, endorsing him. I was watching uh, kind of a collection of different comedians together, but um, that that bit really stood out to me, because I think there's actually a really serious point in there, that that we have a tendency to identify with what we know. You know, we all like to be in the in crowd, we all like to be included, and it's really easy to identify around things that we understand. You know, it's safe, we know the rules. It's a very natural human thing to do, um, and on the surface of it, there's nothing really wrong with it. But the problem is, I think, that, that when we do that, that in order for us to be in, somebody else has to be out. Just like uh, in that routine where somebody had to be out, whether, whoever it was, they came together actually around the person that was out. This is, um, this is my Bible. Um, it's uh, a translation called The Message Version. And the author has written introductions to each uh, different book of the Bible, uh, sort of summing up some of the kind of the key themes that the book talks about. And I think the, um, the introduction to the book of Luke is, is really relevant here, um, so I'm gonna read it out. It should come up on the screen as well. Great, so most of us, most of the time, feel left out, misfits. We don't belong. Others seem to be so confident so sure of themselves, insiders who know the ropes, old hands in a club from which we are excluded. One of the ways we have of responding to this is to form our own club or join one that will have us. Here is at least one place where we are in and the others are out. These clubs range from informal to formal in gatherings that are variously political, social, cultural, and economic but the one thing they have in common is the principle of exclusion. Identity or worth is achieved by excluding all but the chosen. The terrible price we pay for keeping all those other people out so that we can savor the sweetness of being insiders is a reduction of reality, a shrinkage of life. Luke is the most vigorous champion of the outsider. As Luke tells the story, all of us who have found ourselves on the outside, looking in on life, with no hope of gaining entrance, and who of us here hasn't felt it, now find the doors wide open, found and welcomed by God in Jesus. I, I love that passage, but I also find it really challenging because I recognize that same desire in, in myself, in that, that uh, instinct to form the club, to be in the crowd. And I wonder if you recognize that same desire in yourselves. There's a passage in another book in the Bible, the book's called Galatians, um, and this is uh, actually the verse that I felt led to when I was praying about what to talk about tonight. It's in, um, it's in chapter three, verses 26 to 28, and it uh, should come up yet. Yeah, um, so in christ jesus you are all children of god through faith for all who were baptized into christ have clothed yourself with christ clothed yourself with christ there is neither jew nor gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male and female for you are all one in christ jesus and i want to pick up in particular that that second um verse there there's kind of three distinct groups that he mentions and says these divisions don't exist anymore. Um, And these are really important divisions in society at the time. Um, And I've already talked a little bit about what it meant to be a woman in that culture. Um, And the author is saying, you know, well, that doesn't matter anymore. You're you're neither male nor female. Jew versus Gentile was a really relevant issue for the early church. Gentile just basically means uh, everyone who who isn't Jewish. Um, And Jesus had lived in a predominantly Jewish culture. The uh, the evidence suggests that all 12 of his disciples were Jewish and he had been hailed as the Messiah, the uh, the savior who came to save the Jewish people. And this letter was written to the church in Galatia, which is where it gets its name from. And um, at the time in that church, the Jewish Christians there were saying that they were more important than the Gentile ones to the point that they were refusing to eat with them. And again, the the third distinction between slave and free man um, hopefully is fairly obvious that, again, these groups just basically could not have been considered less equal in the eyes of the society at the time. And the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote this letter, is stating very clearly that actually those things don't matter anymore. In terms of importance, those distinctions don't matter. Whether you're here today and you're black or white, you're rich or poor, Young or old, or any other distinction you can think of, you are equally as important to Jesus and his church. So, is Paul um, literally saying that we are no longer male and female, you know, that those differences no longer exist? Well, no, uh, you know, of course he's not saying that. I'm still all the things that make me who I am. I'm still a man, I'm still a brother and a father and a husband. I still support Newcastle United Football Club. Um, Oh, I've got a couple of whoops. No booze, which is fantastic. Um, Those differences still exist. It's still important to learn about them and respect them, and I'm gonna talk a bit more about that in my final point. But, and this is a really important thing to understand, those things are now secondary. The verse finishes, you are all one in Christ Jesus. We have a new identity in Jesus. At the start, when I got you to put all, all to put your hands up, I asked you at the end whether you felt that there was more to you than the thing that you put your hand up for, whether it was more to you than being a sibling or a father or whatever it was. And I think we all agreed that there is, there is more to you than that. And um, it might be that you were thinking of something else that makes you up, you know, yes, I'm a, I'm a brother, but I'm also a teacher and a friend and, you know, whatever it was for you. But if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a new identity which trumps all of those. You are a child of God. You know, we sang it tonight. We sang, you are are a good, good father, and I'm loved by you, that's who I am. Our identity is found in the love that Jesus has for us. And this is really fundamental stuff here. You know, if we can understand this new identity, if we can really grasp it, then all the things that could divide us don't matter anymore. I think that we need to, to grasp hold of that new identity so that it's not just something we can say, not just knowledge, but actually a whole new reality that we can embrace. So what does that mean for, for you if you're here and you're not already a follower of Jesus, or uh, you know, whether you're here today or whether for those people out in the world? Does this mean that you're, you're not as important to God, that you're less worthy of being included? Well, I think the answer to that lies very clearly in what I've already said about Jesus. You know, Jesus hung out with anyone and everyone. He spent time with tax collectors and Pharisees, with wealthy Jews and prostitutes. Everyone mattered to Jesus. Jesus was willing to include anyone. And he went and met them where they were. They didn't have to have uh, come to him. So if everyone is important to Jesus, then I think everyone should be important to us as his followers. And so if you're here today and you've not already chosen to follow Jesus, then that invitation is available. You can step into that new identity and that new reality today. Before we move on from this point, I think um, it's really important to recognize that part of the reason that we, we tend to fall back into that old way of thinking, um, the, the way we fall back into our old identity, is because it's easy. You know, let's be honest, it's generally easier to get on with someone that we have lots in common with. It doesn't require as much effort to, to understand them and get along with them. I'm sure we've all had um, this experience where we're at a party or you know, any kind of social gathering, and we're looking around, trying to pick who to talk to. And I think, if, if we're really honest, certainly for me, it's very tempting at that point to pick someone that looks a little bit like me. You know, I can probably find something in common with that person. Um, I've actually started doing this with parents, quite un- unconsciously, really, in the last year or so now that I am a parent it's just really easy to chat about our children. You know, if it turns out that, excuse me, if it turns out that maybe um, we don't have that much in common or, or maybe they're not as interesting as me, um, I do set the bar rather high on, on that one, um, well, at least then we can fall back to the safety zone and, and talk about our children. But I think that being a follower of Jesus means that we don't always get to take the easy option. If Jesus' message is radical and countercultural. Well, if we want to emulate that, if we want to model being part of a culture that is different to the world around us, then I think we've got some unlearning to do, and there's some hard work ahead of us. But I believe that that is the kind of church we want to be, and I hope that you agree. And that leads me to my next point, which is that we need to be intentional So, my third and final point is that we need to be intentional about being inclusive. And what I mean by intentional is that we need to think about it. You know, it it requires us to be deliberate about making sure that it happens. And I've got um, two top tips on how to make this practical. So, the first one is be genuinely interested in other people. So Rich Nathan tells a story about this. Um, Rich is an American pastor who leads the Vineyard Church in Columbus, Ohio, in the States. Um, And he's also got a really awesome name, Um, just saying. Um, But quite a few years ago, he and an African-American pastor called Sam were having a kind of round table discussion with a bunch of different pastors. And uh, they were talking about race and race relations. And at this gathering, Sam turned to the white pastors And he asked them, how many of you white brothers have taught your sons what to do with their hands if they're pulled over by the police? And none of the white pastors raised their hands. Sam then turned to the black pastors and said, how many of you brothers have taught your sons what to do with their hands if they're pulled over by the police? And all of them raised their hands. You see, Sam explained, we teach our sons that when you're pulled over by the police, You keep your hands on the steering wheel. You don't reach for the glove compartment or for something under your seat because you might get shot. The police may assume that because you're a young black male that you have a gun. But if you're white in America, you don't have to think about these kinds of things. So why did I tell you that story? I imagine um, many people here will find that really shocking. but maybe you won't, maybe you've heard similar stories, or maybe um, you can even recognize similar experiences from your own life. But the reason I told that story is to emphasize that differences go, skin, you know, go beyond skin deep. They can be really deeply embedded in our experience, in our history, in our, you know, in our childhood. And it's only by taking the time to learn about the other person that we can really start to understand some of these differences. And it's only by being genuinely interested in them and authentic in being interested in them for who they are that it allows them to open up and share of themselves. When we come up against behavior that is different to ours or beliefs that are different to ours, it's very easy to be quick to judge. You know, that person's just rude or or ignorant or whatever it is. But if you take the time to get to know them to understand their context um, and their history that's driving those beliefs or behaviors, then usually that's a very different conversation afterwards. Now, of course, there are literally hundreds of different cultures in our world, and I'm not saying that we need to have some kind of encyclopedic knowledge of all the different cultures and kind of how to relate to everyone, but I think it is worth asking the question, well, who am I regularly coming into contact with that's different to me, and how could I learn about them? Where I live, um, there are a lot of Pakistani Muslims that live in the neighborhood, and I was having coffee with a friend of mine a little while ago, and so I asked him about his life, and I said, you know, what was it like growing up as a Pakistani Muslim in Nottingham, tell me about it. And um, not only was the resulting conversation absolutely fascinating, but it gave me a really good insight into him and what makes him tick. And as a result, it's easier for me to include him than it was before. So um, on that note, I wanted to get a bit interactive again here. Again, don't worry, you don't have to leave your seats for this one. But I thought it would be a really good opportunity to give everyone the chance to try this out. So what we're gonna do in a moment is we're gonna take a few minutes to chat to the person next to you and try and find out something about them that you don't know already. Now. A few clarifying points before we begin. We're not looking for deep, dark secrets, don't, so uh, don't start you know, getting interrogation wise It's, um, you're, not prob- you're probably not gonna get to know the person next to you on a whole new, deep, emotional level in the next two or three minutes. So maybe ask them something like, what's your favorite meal and why? Or where's your favorite place and why is that? And maybe if you're feeling really brave, turn to somebody that you don't know. So we're gonna, we're going I'm gonna give you like three, maybe four minutes. Um, so do please make sure that both of you get the chance to speak. Okay. Oh, and I should. Before we start, I should just say, it's not a competition. But the morning service guys really got into this. So, just saying. Okay. Can I regather your attention? All right, wonderful, thank you everyone, thanks for taking part. I hope that you enjoyed that, um, I'd love to get feedback but we obviously don't have time, it's not practical, but um, if, you, if you learn something really juicy and interesting about the other person then I'll be available at the back over there at the end, um, so do come and chat to me. It's obviously a joke, you know, gossip is not, not good. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed that and you found something interesting about the other person. And uh, the next step, once you've found out something about someone else, is then, fairly obviously, to apply that knowledge. So now I know this about that person, well, how am I going to approach them differently? How am I going to make sure that what I'm doing includes them? So a really simple story of how this works out in uh, practice happened to us with um, one of our neighbors. So we live two or three... uh, doors down from this this couple, and we chatted them quite a few times, and actually the first time we met them, they invited us in for tea, and we we met them and met their kids, um, and then we saw them in the street several times af- in the months after that, and we'd always invite them around for dinner at the weekend, you know, come on, come on for Saturday um, dinner, and they never, they always politely declined. Um, and And one time, my wife Ruth got chatting to the mum of the family, and it turned out that Basically, the dad worked really long hours, so he'd leave really early in the morning, and he'd get home really late at night. And he worked something like, I think it was six days a week. So basically, the weekends for them was really precious time, because they only really got one day um, together as a family. And so that, for them, was really precious time. So, So knowing that, okay, we thought a bit outside the box, and we had the mum and the children around for dinner in the week. So it doesn't necessarily have to be really complicated, it's not necessarily rocket science, but all it took was just taking the time to have that conversation and understanding a bit about their situation, and then asking the question, okay, so now I know that, what will work differently? Uh, What will work better for them? So that, that was my first tip, being curious about the other person. And my second one is review it. So I think if we're gonna be intentional about this, then I think we need to take the time to check in on this and ask ourselves, how are we doing? You know, you will all know much better than me how you're doing on this, you know, how are you uh, doing with this challenge of relating to people that aren't like you? It may be that you're really passionate about this and that it's something that you're doing really naturally already, or it might be that it's a real challenge for you. And so I think um, some good questions to ask are who amongst your friendship group is from a different culture to you. I don't necessarily mean different nationality, you know, it could be, any, it could be um, a socio economic background, uh, different background, it could be anything really. Who amongst your friendship group has different political opinions to you? Who are you already in relationship with that's different to you, and how could you reach out to them and learn about them? What are the cliques in your workplace? I used to work as a nurse, And uh, and sometimes, only sometimes, the doctors didn't get on with the nurses. Or maybe the nurses weren't hanging out with physiotherapists for whatever reason. Ask yourself, what is it in your context? At work or or elsewhere? What are the divisions that you see around you? What are the groups that don't hang out with each other? And how could you maybe breach some of those divisions? It might be something as simple as making a cup of tea for the other uh, team in your office. Starting somewhere. Please hear me right on this one. What I'm, what I'm not saying today is that you need to drop all your friends who are like you. You know, I, I'm not saying feel guilty about having that nice couple for dinner or, or hanging out with those people who share your hobby. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those are good things to do. But what I am saying is that you'll know where you are on this one, and you'll know maybe what you feel prompted to do off the back of this talk. It might be that you want to take someone for food or for coffee and, and find out a bit about them. It might be making the effort to talk to someone at church who's different to you. Or it might be that all the way through this talk, you've been sitting there thinking, actually, I'm the one that's left out. I'm the one that's excluded. And if that's you, then, then we'd love to pray for you tonight. And there'll be an opportunity to um, get prayer in, in, a, in a moment. So wherever we are with this, I think it's really healthy to to ask these questions from time to time and ask ourselves, how are we doing? You know, a really important part of being intentional is checking up on ourselves. So as I conclude tonight, I just wanna summarize what I've said. I had three points, the first of which is that Jesus, Jesus' message and ministry is radically inclusive. Secondly, we have a new identity in Jesus, which we need to embrace. And thirdly, we need to be intentional about being inclusive. If we're gonna make this happen, we need to take it seriously. And So I just wanna finish with um, another verse from the Bible. It's from a book called Revelations, which is the very last book of the Bible. Um, And this is part of, uh, the context is that, this is part of a vision of the end of time Um, the very last day when when all Jesus' followers will be gathered together and stand before the throne of God. And it says this in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. I believe that's a future well worth looking forward to.